the state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at an historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laugh as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome back to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you, as always, so much for tuning in. Let's hear it for some local Atlanta luminaries, starting with the one and only super producer, Mr. Max Williams. What, what? I'm also, uh, I'm also, as always, over the moon to introduce you to my co-host, the one and only Mr. Noel Brown. Hello, Ben. Who's that? <laughs> My goodness. Oh. Hey, I'd like to apologize in advance. I am a little under the weather, so I've, I might sound a little snarfly during this episode, but I will give it my level best. There we go. And we also checked our levels earlier. That's right. Wordplay. We're doing, we're doing wordplay. Uh, I'm, I'm Ben. We're, we're joined, uh, posthumously by a special guest today. Uh, you know, out of the four of us, I have to admit, he's probably, he's probably the most famous of our Atlantic crew. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. is in the episode today. You know him. And if you're a decent person, you love him. Uh, (laughs) He's certainly the only one uh, present here in spirit or otherwise who's won a Nobel Prize. Yes, for now. Now, we we dream big on this show, but just so far, they're not giving out Nobel Prizes for podcasts. Ah, bummer. One day. <laughs> one day. One day. Uh, they're also not giving out Nobel Prizes for soda. But if there was a prize for powerful soda companies, it is doubtlessly true that our own hometown Mega corporation Coca Cola would be winning that hypothetical prize. Now, you know, uh, guys, we have uh, we have all lived in the Atlanta area for for some time now, and Coca Cola is ubiquitous here. 
you just you can't spend a day in this city without somehow running into something concerning Coca-Cola. It looms large. No question. Uh, both here in Atlanta and uh, around the world, really. I mean, they, they basically invented Santa Claus and polar bears. Yeah, no, that's a true story. The the Santa you think of uh, when you uh, when you think of Christmas and what Santa looks like, it's an invention of the Coca-Cola company. They have so much heft economically, historically, socially. And yes, of course, we want to say Coca-Cola has, like any other large company, had its share of warts, its share of controversies. But this is a story about how they kind of were the good guy, Mm -hmm. Uh, depending on, well, you know, we could talk about their motivations. Yeah, you know, it's always hard to to tell with large corporations whether something's a PR move or a genuine act of uh, of, of kindness and uh, and philanthropy. Um, but let's uh, let's get back to that in a second. First, talk about the thing we mentioned that that you, Max, uh, or I do not have a Nobel Prize. Uh, this is an award that was first bestowed in 1901. The Nobel Prize has five different disciplines or, or fields that it sort of encompasses. Physics, chemistry, medicine, physiology, literature, and of course, the big one, peace. Peace, peace out, yeah. Uh, And weirdly enough, Noel, peace in recent years has become one of the more controversial prizes. And sometimes you'll hear folks say, well, this person is just getting the peace prize because it's like a political statement or it's a diplomatic thing. But if you look at, if you look at the roster of prize winners, over the more than a century now, then you see that there's some heavy hitters. These are really, Max, I like the way you put it before off air. These are the who's who of the past hundred something years. Your Albert Einstein's, your Marie Curie's, uh, your Mother Teresa's. I'm not the biggest fan of Mother Teresa, but she did get the prize. Just going to throw that hot take in there. So, so, uh, you know, of course, Martin Luther King Jr. also gets a Nobel Prize. He gets it in 1964, and this makes him the very first person from the state of Georgia to win the award. So that's a big deal, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, and he's one of those, uh, you know, historical figures that you always just kind of assume was uh, very old, I guess, because (laughs) we all encountered him, like, you know, as small children. And to small children, anyone uh, that, you know, has that sort of stature seems old. But he was, in fact, the youngest person at the time to ever be awarded uh, the Nobel Peace Prize. And I believe he was only in his 30s when he was assassinated, correct? The thing about, yeah, the thing about, I love this point you're bringing up. Uh, The thing about Martin Luther King changing the world at such a young age is that when I hear about these guys, man, I recall vividly the multiple times I have fallen asleep trying to put on a pair of pants. Some people just have more drive. Yeah, uh, Martin Luther King, to answer your question, he was only 39 when he was assassinated in Memphis on April 4th, 1968. And there's a weird bit of a historical conspiracy here, I would call it, because color television, color film was a thing at this time, but a lot of uh, the clips you'll see of Dr. King are aired in black and white. And I think that lends itself to the the tendency we're talking about where you you feel like these things happened uh, much further in the past or the people are much older. But that's not really the case, you know? 
Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, so many rock stars who died at 27, you know, you think of them as being eternally, you know, the same age, I guess, too, which is, I guess, the thing that comes along with being, I guess, immortalized by an early demise. But we all know Martin Luther King's whole thing, his his dream, uh, the idea that everyone um, who is a citizen of the United States could be judged by their accomplishments and their character and their morality, et cetera, and not by the color of their skin. And in 1968, as we mentioned, he was murdered by uh, a white supremacist, uh, at the very least a very virally racist uh, white man. And just four years prior to that is when he received that uh, prestigious Nobel Peace Prize, um, specifically for his ability to organize folks around a uh, very, you know, uh, universally uh, adopted uh, cause uh, using nonviolence, sort of following in the steps of, of Gandhi. Yeah, yeah. Gandhi also is a, a whole other bag of badgers. I don't want to I don't want to dunk on him unfairly because he did change the world, but there's more to his story than you hear in your history textbooks. But Martin Luther King knew a good idea when he saw it, right? And so he takes up this philosophy, this radical nonviolence philosophy. And in 1955, he begins uh, what would become a nationwide and then a worldwide struggle uh, to combat racial discrimination, a struggle that continues today. And one of his primary things in the U.S. was getting Uncle Sam to say, hey, it should be illegal to have all this racial discrimination in the southern part of the country. Now, the, uh, the folks who were very pro-racial discrimination the supremacists, the racists of the time, they responded to these nonviolent initiatives with, you guessed it, folks, violence. Yes. Uh, and in 1963, King organized 250,000 demonstrators who uh, marched on the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C. And that is where he gave his, you know, most iconic I have a dream speech. Um, and it is, you know, for all intents and purposes, the high watermark moment that many historians will point to that led to President Lyndon Johnson uh, passing a law that prohibited all forms of racial discrimination. But as we know, uh, law or no, you can't change the hearts and minds of a lot of people with the stroke of a pen. That's right. And, and you know, if we could, guys, uh, just because I, I love hearing him personally, can we play a little clip of the, of the speech? I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Epic. Epic and sincere and, um, and you know, inspiring. But I, I wanted to show that good side, Noel, because I appreciate your point so much. The U.S. is not a monolith. Uh, the government's not a monolith. There's no demographic that always moves in step with itself. So it sh sadly can't be surprising for us to say even uh, a lot of people in the government were not fans of King's work. They saw him as, as a threat to the status quo, most particularly the head of the FBI, John Edgar Hoover, had King under uh, intense surveillance, uh, purportedly on suspicions of communism. 
that's where he really got in trouble, by the way, when he started talking about what the powers that be saw as socialism. And sure. we stood up against Vietnam and they were like, nope, nope, he's a red. Well, yeah. And like, you know, President Johnson, obviously, being the kind of forward facing figurehead of the government, really had no choice but to respond to the kind of like groundswell of support that uh, King, you know, was uh, was was getting. But someone like J. Edgar Hoover who operates largely behind the scenes uh, and in much more clandestine circles, uh, he wasn't about this at all. And, uh, you know, considered uh, King to be, you know, something of a of a rabble rouser, an agitator, you know, and he ended up on the kinds of lists that, you know, folks like uh, Stokely Carmichael or John Lennon or a lot of these, you know, kind of like divisive political figures uh, end up on. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile. You know, Ben, I got to say, one of the best parts of a spring cleaning is that post-clean clarity you get where you're like, man, how have I been living like this? What's wrong with me? <laughs> you're right, Noel. It's, it's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. That's mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah, I, I just remember it was my dad's. I, I was a hand me down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car, I'd get that car, and I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody, like I was mm. in Mad Max or something. You know. I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac, yeah. Bonnevilles. right? Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was, a, that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I, meant, <laughs> I said El Camino and I meant Monte Carlo. I miss it. So uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. But it, it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. 
And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This was all happening in the U.S. It was all happening kind of roughly concurrently with King's ascendance on the international stage. So over in Oslo, In 1964, when Dr. King gets the Nobel Prize, the Nobel Committee chairman said, King, uh, referring to King, he said, he is the first to make the message of brotherly love a reality in the course of his struggle, and he has brought this message to all men, to all nations and races. And, you know, you get money when you win the Nobel Prize. Yeah, like, you know, you get the medal, but you also get some scratch. And Dr. King donated the entirety of his prize money, which was around $54,000 to civil rights organizations. And I have immense respect for that. He didn't take the money and run. He continued the struggle. Oh, no. I mean, he has always put his money where his mouth was. So King, of course, went to Oslo, Norway, to, to be honored and to receive this award from the Nobel Committee. And then he came back to the States where he was honored um, in New York. He got like, I guess, you know, like key to the city kind of situation, the city's medallion of honor. And 8,000 people turned up um, at a venue in Harlem to see him receive this uh, this honor. And that included Governor Nelson Rockefeller. You might have heard of the, the Rockefeller, of the Rockefeller Rockefellers. Mm-hmm. Inventors of Oyster Rockefeller as well. Uh, the, I think that's their big win. That's their version of the Nobel Prize. Is the that the one with like, uh, like spinach in it or something? I think it is. Now, I'm, I'm going to come claim with you guys. I don't eat Oyster Rockefeller every day, so I don't have the recipe. <laughs> well, you're not <laughs> living out with the swells? I mean, come on. Uh, no, it is the spinach one. I think I like the one with, um, with more Parmesan in it. And then, ooh, and Fishmonger here in Atlanta just won some pretty prestigious uh, national shout-outs for their chef set oysters, which have kiwi in them. I have not enjoyed those, but I did go for the first time the other day and had like a open face crab tostada thingy. Oh, and yeah. It was absolutely delightful. Oh, it's great. It's great. Also, full disclosure, um, I know the chefs, they're not paying us to say this. It is good. It is good. Next time you're in town. But if you were if you were uh, living in Atlanta in 1964 and you were one of the powerful people in this city. This city has always had kind of a small in-group of people who run things behind the scenes. Yeah, we refer to them as old money. Yeah, and old money in the South is not the same thing as old money in, say, Rhode Island. But still, it's it, it may not be elderly money, uh, especially after the Civil War and Reconstruction, but there are kingmakers. But it's also money that's tied to the Civil War. Oh, very, very much so. And those kinds of attitudes that uh, seem to pass generationally. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They like their money and they often like their older attitudes. So, all right. You are Atlanta. You see this huge to-do in Oslo. You see this uh, big shebang in New York. And you say, hey, this could be great 
PR for Atlanta. You know, we're we're coming up as a city, uh, so let's throw a party for Dr. King, for the Nobel Prize winning Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. They say we're going to have an integrated banquet. People of all races will come. Uh, We're going to send official invitations to all of those leaders we talked about, all those titans of industry, the politicians, the old money, the tastemakers, the mayor signing these invites by hand, religious leaders from every faith or denomination you can imagine. Uh, They're signing stuff. University president is co-signing it. The publisher of the AJC is signing off. And womp womp, almost no one responds because it turns out that while uh, the, the city's Black community and progressive community is rightly incredibly excited about this, the majority of the city's power structure, which is also majority white, is extremely unimpressed. Case in point, Mr. Herman Talmadge, politician, former governor of Georgia, and Senator Herman Talmadge. He took uh, he took issue with this whole uh, this whole idea uh, for this soiree. And as the uh, Coca Cola Company actually in the history on their website puts it. He wondered aloud why the committee gave a peace prize to a person who promoted lawbreaking. Yeah, yeah. Now we'll give it a rabble browser, a grand soiree. That doesn't seem particularly antebellum to me. Uh, is you is or is you ain't my constituency. Just so. And uh, there's this great book by a guy named Frederick Allen. The title's long, but... Uh, It's worth the read. Atlanta Rising, the invention of an international city and secret formula. How brilliant marketing and (laughs) relentless salesmanship made Coca-Cola the best known product in the world. I think that's the entire cover is just that sentence. Good Lord. I I pity that typesetter (laughs) or graphic designer that had to cram all that in there. Uh, Yeah, there's a quote from that book saying, if you had been waiting for the white community in Atlanta to accept civil rights, He would have waited as long as anywhere in the South. Mm -hmm. And Alan points out that a lot of this power structure thought this celebration would be just one more step in a process that would, quote, deprive them of the fruits of white supremacy and the Jim Crow laws they'd enjoyed for more than half a century. I mean, that's pretty blunt, but it's also, as we'll see, pretty true. What do you the fruits of white supremacy are? Like something really bland, like like melon, flavorless melon. I always feel, you know, I love, I know some people love melon. I've, uh, the most expensive melon I ever ate was in Japan and people were absolutely out of their, out of their minds for it. But uh, I always, whenever I got like a fruit cup or something as a kid, I always judged it by the melon ratio or like cantaloupe. Those That's seem like what the, I mean. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess when I say melon, I'm, I'm specifically referring to cantaloupe. It's just, you the know. The blandest, weirdest of fruits. What do you guys take on honeydew is? Is it the same thing? It's a little more uh, pale green, kind of. Is it sweeter? I don't know. I, I just don't like the smell of a melon. It, it it weirds me out. There's a whole thing on the show BoJack Horseman about just like how much honeydew sucks. Oh, yeah. And I love that joke. So I always like to ask people what their opinion on honeydew is. I mean, I just kind of think it's like, you know, cantaloupe gets invited to a party and it brings along his dumbass friend honeydew. Okay. I, I respect that. I don't really, I, you know, I, I don't have a horse in the in the honeydew fight. I guess I like the name, 
I wouldn't get angry at someone. Like the next time we get together, if someone says, hey, would you like some honeydew? I think I'll just say no. I won't be like swinging on them. You ever heard an old Southern lady refer to her handyman as her honeydew? Uh, no, but those people are having an affair. Yeah, it seems so. <laughs> so, so this is a this is the environment in which this is taking place. And as you know, with any powerful entity, appearance is key, right? You want to seem like you are liked. You want it to seem like you are representative of the attitudes of all the people that are within your sphere of influence, because otherwise, why would you be in charge? So Alan says, you know, this is where two very different organization styles come to a head. The civil rights movement has made itself, based on grassroots, bottom-up actions from the community. But the power structure has completely opposite approach. It's top-down. And so when these folks are organizing this people of all faiths, people of all demographics dinner at this place called the Dinkler Plaza Hotel, which despite the name was quite classy. It's just- I don't think that exists anymore. I haven't heard of the Dinkler Plaza Hotel. No, It also just, in my opinion, doesn't sound like the most impressive name. Like what's that, uh, is it the department store that's supposed to be sort of fancy that has an unfortunate name? It's not like Dilbert. Dillard's. Dillard's. That's the yeah, one. Yeah. Dillard's doesn't sound like those clothes should cost as much as they do. I know. It, it just makes me think of like a Dullard, you know? Yeah. Like someone who's kind of boring. Yeah. You can only wear yeah. by beige there. Yeah. Only and, beige clothing. Yeah. And, the, and it all uh, it all matches the honeydew, right? So, so, okay. So our mayor, one of our main characters here, Ivan Allen Jr., he's another junior. He says, all right. I'm going to drum up some support from the city's business community. I'm mayor of Atlanta. I got connects. My Rolodex is deep. But he also notices that a lot of the people who are ignoring these invitations or not responding or outright saying, ha ha, no way, uh, they're largely white leaders. And one guy whose name is still kind of an open secret, but he's always reported as an unnamed banker, he allegedly starts phoning everyone he knows in town, urging them not to go. And then the New York Times, a paper of note, still probably high off their own celebration of Dr. King, they publish a story that makes this national news. And the the headline says, tribute to Dr. King disputed in Atlanta. Well, we have to assume too that a, a businessman of this type, a banker, isn't just discouraging people from going. He's probably got a little juice in saying, if you go to this thing and I know that you go to this thing, then I may or may not be able to continue doing business with you. A hundred percent. That's where the rubber hits the road here. In December of 64, the Atlanta Constitution said, there were some strong feelings about the matter regarding the banquet and Atlanta leaders had mixed feelings and perhaps some reluctance in sponsoring the banquet And they said there was some behind-the-scenes controversy. So reporters were noting this. And they said one of the big things about it was uh, the points Talmadge raised that you mentioned earlier, the idea that King was a lawbreaker because he participated in a strike against another Atlantic company, Scripto Incorporated. And this led led to a bad uh, 
a bad association with King amongst the titans of industry. Uh, Jim Burris over at NPR reported about this. He was talking with uh, one of King's descendants, King III, and he said Atlanta was trying to move slow. And, you know, King III, King III had a very, um, I think, a very good retrospective look at this. Right. Uh, he had this to say, uh, quote, they were not going to show up. And again, it was fear. We were still a divided nation. We were just getting ready to get a civil rights act. Birmingham in 63 had been explosive. The churches had been bombed in 63 and people were just nervous and afraid. Yeah. And that's uh, and anxiety and fear are communicable diseases. Right. So as the days tick by, the mayor himself is getting worried. He's saying, oh, my gosh, it's looking more and more like our big party that we wanted to make international news is going to be abandoned. It's going to be crickets in the audience. So he said, this is going to make my city look terrible, not just now, but forever. And more importantly, this can turn back the clock on all the progress we've been trying to make in racial relations. I'm tr he's like, I need help. I, I've got to do something. So he goes back to his deep mayoral Rolodex, and he knows there's one guy he can call, a man who doesn't have an official position, but used to be the president of Coca-Cola. Now that he's no longer the president, he spends his days on the Ichaway Plantation in southwest Georgia. His name, Robert Woodruff. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah, I, I just remember it was my dad's. I, I was a hand me down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car. I'd get that car. And I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody like I was mm. in Mad Max or something. You know, I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac yeah. Bonnevilles. Right. Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was a, that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I, meant, I said El Camino <laughs> and I met Monte Carlo. I miss it. So uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. But it, it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. 
Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, Noel, have you ever wanted to wake up to something better? Oh, boy, have I ever been. <laughs> well, uh, this is where Avalon Waterways comes in. How does waking up to a medieval castle, an ancient cathedral, a rolling vineyard, or a charming cobblestone village sound to you? Here on Ridiculous History, that's right up our street, Ben, our charming cobblestone street. So I can say it sounds pretty good to me. You're absolutely right, Noel. Avalon Waterways has redefined cruising in so many different ways. They've got the uh, widest opening windows. They've got beds that face the passing scenery. So wherever you go, you have a front row seat to the views of the world. And not only do you wake up in the best staterooms in the entirety of the business, but you're waking up in a new port every day, right in the heart of these amazing historic cities. Ah, Ben, sign me up. Open your eyes to a better view and a different kind of cruising. One with smaller ships, bigger experiences, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time special offers await at AvalonWaterways.com. Isn't it funny how you can often tell if uh, a historical, you know, uh, high muckety-muck was progressive or not based on whether they their name is attached to like museums and art centers and things like that. We have the Woodruff Art Center here mm-hmm. in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we also that's... have the Maddox Bridge up in uh, 75 and 285, which I make sure to spit on every time I drive over it. <laughs> yeah, usually racists just get bridges or overpasses, you know. Or Stone Mountain. <laughs> or weird self-aggrandizing statues. Yeah, so, uh, so this guy, Woodruff, he is this to me, this feels like a very southern thing, although it happens all around the world. Uh, he became president of Coca Cola in 1923, and he was a big part of Coca Cola's growth during his time as president. And if you it, we fast forwarded several decades, right? It's 1964, he's no longer officially in power. But what he says goes, put bluntly, he is the most powerful dude in town. And uh, he is not necessarily the most progressive guy. Because remember, he's he's from the 20s. Well, you know, pr- progressive is a relative term uh, in, this, in this day and age that we're discussing here. So that being said, he was relatively progressive for the time. And he was concerned with... You know, image, of course, and he was concerned with how his city would come across. He recognized Dr. King's influence in this movement as a very real thing. And he, uh, at the very least, didn't want to be on the wrong side of history and didn't want Atlanta to be on the wrong side of history. Yeah. And the mayor is over at his plantation and he's saying, look, Woody, uh, we have a huge problem. We're not selling any tickets to dinner. It's going to be a massive embarrassment. And also, we just spent so much money on this national ad campaign calling Atlanta a city too busy to hate. This is not a good look for us. And so old Woody, by the way, he had just fallen off a horse. So he's laid up recovering. And he goes, you know, I agree with you. Let me make some phone calls. He probably said, let me make some telephone calls. 
and they get the current president of Coca-Cola, who's also the CEO, a guy named Paul Austin, to get all of the business cabal together at the elite Piedmont Driving Club, which is familiar to our pal Matt Frederick. Oh, yeah. She crabs soup. <laughs> I'll, I'll never forget. Uh, but yeah, this guy, Austin, was from LaGrange, Georgia. Um, and he actually had spent quite a bit of time living and working in South Africa, uh, 14 years, actually. So he was there in the thick of apartheid um, and uh, and all of the awful racist uh, implications that were wrapped up in that. So he he understood that these things, again, at the very least, had a negative impact on the economy. Right, right. He could he could at least think of that stuff in economic quantitative terms. So he he said, I don't want this to happen in Atlanta. So he gets these guys together in private, and he is probably driven in part, not just by Woody and the mayor, but by that New York Times article. That was a front page article. That made him feel terrible. So he wanted to flex muscle. He and his team are talking to these business elites at the driving club. And at first they're phrasing things in terms of like unity, right? Warm and fuzzy, building a better tomorrow. But in case that didn't work, they also brought Coca-Cola's huge economic weight to the table. He said some high test stuff. Um, one of the quotes he had, we have a couple people recalling this night. One of the quotes he said was, it's embarrassing for Coca-Cola to be located in a city that refuses to honor its Nobel Prize winner. We are an international business. The Coca-Cola company does not need Atlanta. You all need to decide whether Atlanta needs the Coca-Cola company. Pew, 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 pew. I know, pew. shots fired. You know, it's interesting. I mean, this has actually kind of come around again recently in the last handful of years when um, there was that uh, heartbeat bill situation. Oh, that's and, right. Yeah. You know, a lot of the film production companies threatened to leave because now a big, you know, big business here in Atlanta is film. But also, I think Delta was talking about moving or that there was a lot of, you know, big corporations and, and, and industries based in Atlanta that did just this, you know, um, collectively kind of threw their weight around uh, in order to enact uh, positive change. Yeah, a hundred percent. And this is, this is something that companies of that size can do. So King the third would later recall, I think he was speaking with Jim Burris still, he said, and you know what happened after that? The business leaders showed up. They pretty much strong-armed a lot of members of the Atlanta business community to respond to the invite, to buy their tickets. Uh, former UN ambassador Andrew Young said he just hammered them. He said Austin was like, look, we're not going to stay in a city that's going to have this kind of reaction. And so think about it. You choose how you want to go because Coca-Cola is going to be fine, gentlemen. What about your city? What about your businesses? I yield my time. And they decided. Yeah, they did. And, and consequently, uh, the event sold out like, like hotcakes. Um, and also, this, of course, raised the profile of the event as, as a news item, you know, and just had a lot of eyes on it because of all this controversy. And the fact that these, uh, this business was able to make the uh, kind of uh, shitty business community cave. Yeah, this is, you know, it's funny you say that because now that I think about it, I have never in my life been to a place that is sold out of hotcakes. 
I don't think I even know what a hot cake is. It's like a biscuit, right? I thought it was like a, a pancake. pancake. It's yeah, like a pancake. It's like, a, like, a, like a mini pancake. Well, tell us if you've ever seen something selling like hotcakes or if they've sold out. I we I we always assume it was a good thing. Anyway, yeah, so they're sold out. And uh, we're getting a lot of this stuff from another author, Mark Pendergrass, who wrote Of God, Country, and Coca-Cola. Much pithier title. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Brevity. That's my favorite way to revise the quote. Brevity is the soul of wit. Just say say the thing. Just say brevity. It's implied. The rest rest is implied. Yeah. So over 1,500 people are going. And this is not as big as the 8,000 people in New York, but that's still huge for Atlanta. And one thing that was funny is there were a lot of police that were assigned to hold the perimeter of Dinkler Plaza because the power structure was very concerned that there would be massive protests. You know, they wanted to paint these protesters as violent, even though they were obviously not violent. The police had nothing to do. I mean, you know, it's still a class system, so they weren't allowed to walk in and get some snacks. But there was no discord. There was no huge dissent. And Pendergrass points out something important here, mission critical. He says, if Robert Woodruff, who could run the town of Atlanta, if he had not let it be known that the white business community was going to honor Dr. King at this dinner, it would not have happened. If he hadn't pulled that card this would history would have gone very differently. Yeah, and King, you know, he didn't uh, gloat or anything, or or even let on to any of this controversy at all. Um, I, I don't know if he commented on it. I bet he probably did to some degree prior to this speech. But once it was all said and done, he got out there and and made his speech, saying, "Quote: This marvelous hometown welcome and honor will remain dear to me as long as the cords of memory shall lengthen." What a class act. Yeah. Yeah. And just by comparison here, let's, let's, this is, I think, a great note for us to wrap up on. So the event goes on. Former Ambassador Young recalls this. He said, the event goes on like there had never been a controversy at all. And the same people who are trying to shut the whole thing down, the same people who, uh, a few of whom definitely hated Dr. King, they stood up and saying, we shall overcome oh, at the end. They knew where through, their bread was Through gritted buttered. teeth, yeah. uh, no doubt. Yeah, you got to love it. You got to love it. So, okay, this teaches us, I think, a, a lot of stuff. Not to moralize, but it shows us that, you know, uh, you can use money for power, right? And these guys, I would say, based on what we've learned today, I would say a lot of the members of that uh, community, that power structure, I would say they were just doing this because they felt their economic future was at stake, right? Or their political future. But still, they that was enough to make them do the right thing, even if sure. their motivations weren't 100%. Yeah, the, uh, intent is, uh, is, is important, certainly. But also, so is getting things done and uh, laying the groundwork for hopefully others to at least read the tea leaves correctly. You know, this thing wasn't going away. You know, the idea of the fruits of white supremacy, I mean, that was going to be relegated to the shadows um, pretty quickly. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that's the hope here. And again, Coca-Cola has a lot of its own war stories. 
across the planet. It is a huge company. It moves billions of dollars of all kinds of things. And it owns more brands than you might think it does. A lot of stuff is ultimately owned by Coke. But in this case, it looks like Woody and his pal Austin did the right thing. And and so did the mayor. And I I think, uh, you know, Nola, as we get toward the end of the year, man, I think this is kind of a a good story. I I like wholesome stuff at the end of the year. For sure. And, you know, I mean, it's easy to kind of, you know, look askance at these giant corporations and, and realize that at the end of the day, a lot of these big decisions are based around money. But it is nice to see when those decisions uh, go the right direction, you know, um, as opposed to, you know, being like completely evil. <laughs> right, right. Being a complete conglomco about stuff. Uh, so here's where we're going to end it. Please tune in for our upcoming episodes we've got some got some really cool stuff on the way uh organized crime uh we've got oh gosh i don't even want to spoil all of them but in the meantime do check out our peer podcast ridiculous crime ridiculous news and ridiculous romance thanks as always to super producer max williams thanks to our research associate jeff bartlett Huge thanks to Christopher Hasiotis here in spirit, Alex Williams, who composed this theme. I think we've got a scheduled quizster crash coming up in the not too distant future. Ah, uh, yes, yes. No, we did. We did reach out on the other side. So, folks, here's what it's like. Uh, picture, picture the three of us with one of those red telephones, kind of like in the Cold War with the U.S. and the USSR. Yeah, or the bat phone. Or the bat phone. So we picked up, we picked up the phone. We said the code words, and uh, we are a go to have the one and only Quister return. Tune in for that. Tune in for what he himself has described with great enthusiasm, for some reason, as the cringiest segment in all of podcasting. We will see you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Avalon Waterways. Ben, are you in major need of a vacation right now? Noel, you're a mind reader. I am, and uh, aren't we all? We are. While cruising remains popular, there's something big happening in the industry, and that is, my friend, smaller ships. True story. The intimate ships of Avalon Waterways can go where the big ships can only dream through winding passageways of rolling vineyards and castled hills into the heart of timeless cities and storybook villages. That sounds like a delight. See how Avalon's smaller ships promise greater discoveries, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time. Special offers await at AvalonWaterways.com. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch strata coaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. 
Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota.